you can open them to the book of Titus. Thank you, Kent. Before we do that, we have a uh, kind of a, I guess this would be a family announcement. It's, it's a sad, it's a sad one. Um, our brother Rick Blair passed away this last week. And so I want to let you know that um, the service for him will be at church uh, this coming Wednesday. We'll have a viewing at noon. And then uh, the service will be at 1 and we'll have refreshments to follow. Let's pray. Lord, you are the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So, Lord, we don't have grief that you don't know about or understand. But, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our grief and pull us towards your joy, that you would meet us in our sorrows and remind us that there is hope. Lord, I pray that we would be people that live in that land between missing our loved ones and joy-filled eternal hope. Lord, now as we open your word, I, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, and that you would talk over me while I talk to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus is about living a beautiful life. It's about living a beautifully aligned life, one that uh, is where we live out what we say we believe. And so we read in chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, okay, so what that but there is contrasting Paul's opponents. And Paul's opponents there in Crete were saying one thing, we know the Lord, but then denying the Lord with their works. So they're living a completely different way. Have you guys ever seen anything like this in the news? Where a Christian leader would say they know the Lord and say true things and maybe have correct facts about the Lord, but then deny the Lord with their actions. I think you have seen that on the news. In fact, I bet you've seen that up close and personal. That might be why some of you left church for a while, because you couldn't handle the hypocrisy. That might be why some of you are live streaming rather than here, because you feel like it's safer to live stream, because you're a little bit more removed from the hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul is really against this hypocrisy, and we, I mean, we want to just say that is a possibility, but we'd rather live aligned lives where what we say is actually what we do. What we say we know, we put into practice, and this is what the book of Titus is about. So he says, but as for you, teach what accords with healthy or sound, and then he uses another word. Before I say that word, I just want to say it again. 
So you have correct beliefs, which are like the roots of the tree, which grow into correct conduct, which is like the fruit of the tree. So don't get confused with roots and fruit. Like, so we're not saved by works. We're saved by Christ's work. But we are saved for good works. So when we believe right, we end up living right. That's the idea. We have a healthy relationship between our faith and our works. So he says, but as for you, don't be a hypocrite. Teach what accords with sound. Now this next word I'm going to read, and you're going to be like, I'm not listening anymore. I have a feeling. Or some of you will get all cranked up like, yes, 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 go deep, pastor. Sound doctrine. You're like, yes, finally, finally, the depths we've been longing for. So when I think of doctrine, I think of like Paul's like, make sure they're all pre-mill. No ah-mill, no post-mill. Make sure they're all pre-mill. Make sure you have a robust debate about Calvinism versus Arminianism. Make sure you have... So that's what I think of when I think of doctrine. Is that what Paul means when he thinks of doctrine? You see doctrine here at, on the one, one side of this, at the very beginning of it, chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1. You see doctrine again at the end of it in chapter, one, chapter 2. I put that up there wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. You'll see it again. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, you just ask yourself, is this what you think of when you think of doctrine? As for the older men... They are to be self, they are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, and love and steadfastness. Is that what you think of when you think of doctrine? See, doctrine really insists that truth become conduct. Really, you gotta have the whole tree. You really do. So Paul is going to give instruction about how to live out the truth. So we're going to, and he starts with, don't miss this. He starts with older men. Older men, he starts with you. So there's a lot of debate about where older men starts. Like where's the line? I'm 44, so older men starts at 45. So, if you are 45 or older, please stand up. You thought I was kidding. I'm not. If you're, 40, if you're a man and you're 45 or older, please stand up. Because this is written to you. Every, yes, thank you for that. Everybody is going to end up standing by the time this is done, though. Believe me. Okay, so older men, this is written to you. This is about how to live in accordance with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, Self-controlled, okay, so watch that self-controlled. We're going to use self-controlled as this case study this morning. Older men to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. This is what's supposed to characterize everybody that is standing. You think of in Crete. What, was, what were Cretans like? Well, we, we read that in chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It would have been easy for, in Crete, you to have a bunch of creepy old men. Nope. Paul expects the gospel to work even in Crete. And we expect it to work here even in Allegan. And these 
Paul says, teach them, help them become trustworthy men that you'd want your kids around. Thank you. You may be seated. Older men to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, so if you're over 45 and you're a woman, go ahead and stand up. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the older women. He's saying, in Crete, it would be very easy for you to become self-absorbed. And becoming self-absorbed, you become drunkards, and you become gossips, and you become difficult to have around. But instead, he's saying, please don't be self-absorbed. Please be self-giving. Become examples to the younger women. And this would be how to live out sound doctrine. You may be seated. So train the younger women. So if you are 45 and you are a woman, or you're 45 and younger, sorry. If you're 44 and younger, please stand up. Women that are 45 or younger. If you're younger than 45. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled. There's that word again. Pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so he's saying, look, if, if you're a younger woman, you may have self-destructive desires that Cretans would have, because Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Don't let that be true of you. You be self-controlled, and thereby live a beautiful life helping everyone around you flourish. So go ahead, and you may be seated. Younger men, so if you are younger than 45 and male, go ahead and stand up. Those of you that are younger than 45 and male. Younger men, how many jobs do you think they can handle? Everybody else got a bunch of jobs. Did you see that? Older women, I think, got the most. They got a bunch of jobs. Uh, older men got quite a few jobs. Younger women, they got a bunch of jobs too. He's had quite a bit to say to them. Younger men, you get one job. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Like that is all they can handle. <laughs> be self-controlled. I, I didn't write it. I just, this is what it says. Be self-controlled. Live a beautifully self-controlled life. You may be seated. Then he talks to Titus. I mean, I just want you to see how countercultural counter this is before I talk to Titus. Because he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Self-control is going to swim upstream. You don't be afraid to swim upstream. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Because you have good beliefs. Because you have sound doctrine, you'll end up with good works. Live a consistent life. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound, that's healthy, speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Live a beautiful life. 
that people, when they look at you, they'll want to hate you because of your beliefs, but they'll find nothing to hate because you're filled with love and self-control. And you, you will have integrity that your beliefs will line up with your conduct. You'll live a beautiful life. Don't you want that? Don't you want to live an aligned, a beautifully aligned life? Bond servants. Okay, now who, who should stand up here? And we'll, we'll answer that question here. I, I think the footnote will help. For the context, for contextual rendering, the Greek word doulos, see preface. So doulos is the Greek word underneath the word, the English word bond servants. So I thought I'd read it to you because some people have a lot of problem with us. They think, they think this is just slavery, and when they think slavery, they think of like American slavery and how heinous that was. And like, how is Paul, how is he even giving them instructions about that? And I think it will help to understand the, the context. So in the New Testament times, a doulos is often best described as a bond servant. So there was other kinds of slavery, like when one country went in and conquered another country and took slaves. That would have been a different kind of slavery than we're talking about here. But most of the time we're talking about bond servants. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve as master for seven years. Or if you were in Caesar's household, you had a 14-year contract. Much different than American slavery, a seven-year contract or a 14-year contract. Not only that, when the contract expired, the person was freed given his wage that had been saved for him by his master. It's also paid work. And officially declared a freed man. So this is not based on race. It's not forever. And it's not generational. This is, this is different. So when we read bond servants, what I think, where I think this meets us the best is not people who own their own business, not people who are retired, but people who have a B-O-S-S. People who go to a J-O-B. People who put on a uniform and go to work and get dirty and come home tired. People who put on their work clothes and go and sit at a computer and do mind-numbing work all day long and come home stressed out because they had to make themselves sit there and concentrate all day long. Because you got to earn a paycheck, that's part of the contract. So if you have a job, why don't you stand up? You get a job for a boss. Okay, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Like, look, it's not your money. Just do what they tell you. You know, they're, they're paying you. Just, just do what they say. Bond servants will be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Like, they're paying you to do the work. Please stop arguing with them. Not stealing or pilfering, but showing all good faith. So you're not punching in late and leaving early. You are showing up and doing your work. You're not stealing time. You're not stealing stuff. You're honest and trustworthy. 
so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, so that you live a beautiful life. You may be seated. This is the fruit of good doctrine. When we believe the right things, we end up living the right way. And I want you to see this adorn word. I think this is so beautiful, this word adorn. Adorn there, the Greek word is kosmeo, and it means to cause something to be beautiful by decorating. So as I say cosmeto, and I put the, and I put the word beautiful with it, what, what English word do you think we get from that Greek word? Cosmetics. It's that word cosmetics. That, that people will see the beauty of what we believe because how we live is beautiful. So what do we have to say about this, this, all these 10 verses? In these 10 verses, what do we have to say? If you're going to remember one thing, the one thing I want you to remember from these 10 verses is that salvation leads to transformation. So, so Paul is writing to the church in Crete. Crete's a dark place, and he expects the gospel to work in Crete. And he says, he quotes one of their own. He, so he quotes a Cretan talking about Cretans. He says, Cretans are always liars. You know, and Paul didn't expect them to stay liars, though. You know, it, it might be that, that they, like us, tend to exaggerate the truth and make other people look 50% worse to make ourselves look 50% better. It might be that Cretans were tempted to lie about money because they really needed it. Might be that Cretans were tempted to lie to her, to lie to him, to lie about that because they felt like it would save them a lot of trouble, kind of like we are tempted to lie. And Paul would say to them, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. That is violating the doctrine of God our Savior. Do not lie. Because you are saved. Because you have been redeemed. Let me show you that in the text. So in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The doctrine of God our Savior. So he's going to explain what that is now. This is going to be Brendan's text next week. Training us to renounce ungodliness. We've talked a lot about that in previous weeks. And worldly passions and to live What's that next word, those of you who are following along? Self-controlled. Oh, that sounds familiar. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So, him for us. He died for our sins. He paid our debt. He took our punishment. He did this so that he could cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He saved us. He gave himself for us. To redeem us from all unlawlessness. So what you're, what you're going to say when you're tempted to live in those habits of lying is you're going to say, I am not going to lie because I am redeemed. Cretans are always liars and evil beasts. I mean, lying usually, or evil usually begets evil. So when we, when we experience hate, when someone levels hate at us, we tend to want to retaliate. 
Maybe that happened at Greed. It sure happens here. When someone says something really mean to us, what we want to do is say something even meaner back. When something, someone posts something really offensive, we want to post something even more offensive. The strong have always wanted to prey on the weak. And what Paul is saying is, do not do that because he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You're not going to do that. You're not going to participate in the evil because you're going to remember that you are purified because salvation leads to transformation. You're going to say, here's what I know is true. He died for me. This is a root of the tree belief. I am saved. So how that's going to work itself out is I am going to live a right life with good conduct. You're going to be tempted, just like they were then, to be a lazy glutton. You're not going to call it that until afterwards. But you're going to be like, man, You know what helped me deal with this pain? Pizza. A giant pile of pizza would really help me work through this pain. You know what helped me work through this stress? You're not going to say this out loud. Trash on the internet would really help me work through this. Just, just help me escape from it. You know what helped me work through this pain and this stress and this sorrow and this, all this stuff, you know what would help? I drowned it in drunkenness. But you're not going to do that because you are a people who are zealous for good works. That's what chapter 2, verse 14 says. You're redeemed, you're purified, and you're zealous for good works. Salvation leads to transformation. Good roots produce good fruit. If there's not good fruit, you need to start thinking about the roots. Salvation leads to transformation. So what should we do? Well, we should live a beautiful life. And the way to do that is to live a beautifully self-controlled life. A beautiful life. So what you, you know, when you're tempted to lie, when you're tempted to give way to being self-absorbed, what you're going to say is, no, no, no. I am redeemed. You're going to tell yourself the truth about the gospel, that he saved me, that he redeemed me, and that's going to bear good fruit, which is self-control. When you're tempted to do something evil because they did it first, you're going to tell yourself, no, 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 wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. I am purified. You're going to tell yourself the truth. He saved me. He purified me. This is something he did for me. He washed me clean. So I'm going to live a pure life. When you're tempted to give way to laziness and gluttony and gluttonous laziness and sit in a puddle of pain and sorrow and self-pity and wallow there and sit and soak in gluttony, you're going to say, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. I remember how I'm saved and I'm not saved for this. I'm saved to be zealous for good works. 
And this is how self-control develops. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about different strategies for self-control. I spend a lot of time trying to learn about self-control because I'm really curious about it. I'm really bad at it. I spend a lot of time on studying habits and self-control and that kind of I mean, it's just one of, part of a hobby of mine. Apostle Paul doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He just assumes that you'll, you'll get it because you are rooted in the gospel and that will bear good fruit in your life. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is First, before you start studying self-control, before you start trying to implement self-control, first, you have to want self-control. You have to think it's a good idea. When I talk about self-control, I feel like the first thing I get is, but that would take all the fun out of life. But that would take all the pleasure out of life. Why would I ever want self-control? I don't think you can think of a goal that you have that you really aspire to that doesn't require some kind of self-control. A beautiful life requires self-control. A beautiful life is a product of godly self-control. So here's your homework for this week. Tell someone... That's, you're gonna, all going to skip that part, unless I don't say it again. Tell someone how godly self-control could beautify your life. As you read through the old men list, or the old women list, or the young women list, or the young men list, how could godly self-control beautify your life? Godly self-control that flows out of knowing that you're saved. How could that beautify your life? Before we talk about strategies for self-control and like here's a way, here's a way, there's a way, you have to want it. You have to think that that would be good. Do you want it? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Ask the Lord for it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you pull us towards yourself. Lord, I pray that you work in our lives and help us, help us desire to know you and love you. Help us desire to live out the truths of the gospel, that we would act out um, how we're saved. Help us act out that generosity and love and self-control. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.